Welcome to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and heard exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Each week, your hosts, Eric Cox and Karen Stawicki, welcome successful business leaders and entrepreneurs from across the Lowcountry to talk about what it takes to succeed, not only in business, but in life as well. And now, your hosts, Eric Cox and Karen Stawicki. And a great Saturday morning to you, Low Country. Welcome to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, heard exclusively here on News Radio 94.3 WSC. I am one of your hosts, Eric Cox, here this morning, as always, with our co-host. Karen Stawicki. Good, Good morning. Morning to you, Karen. And first of all, let's just give a little shout out to our listeners and say thank you very yeah. much for tuning in every Saturday morning from 8 to 9 here on 94.3 and listening to these great entrepreneurs that we have week in and week out. And I will tell you, it just seems like uh, it, the good keeps on giving and, and the, the great information that's being shared has just been fabulous. The feedback we're getting, Karen, is wonderful. And of course, today will be no exception to that rule. Exactly. And you know, Eric, if, if there are listeners out there, and I say this uh, time and time again, if you've got some questions that you think would be interesting for our guests to answer, please let us know. And you can reach out to us by calling 881-4904. Now, it's Saturday morning. Uh, we're not going to be there to take your call, but leave a message. We'll give you a call back, I promise. If you've got some questions, we want to add that to our list. And Eric, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about how the show came about? So again, the show is titled It's Your Business, and the goal and the opportunity here really is to, to highlight low country entrepreneurs, success in the low country for those who've started businesses, run businesses, and give them a chance to come on the air and tell a little bit about their story and their best practices and share back with the community some of the insight that has made them so successful. And our job, Karen, has been to make sure we have interesting guests on the show that really represent a variety of industry from the low country. And hopefully so far we've done fairly well in accomplishing that. I think we've done great. And again, I say week after week that the pleasure has really been mine. You know, moving here a year and a half ago, I would never have had the opportunity under any other circumstance to meet these great people. So thanks for inviting me to be your co-host. Well, we're having a lot of fun. And uh, real quick on some background for each of us, Karen. Well, you know, each week I talk about how I've got 30 years in the business and blah, 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 blah. If you want to learn more about that, go to my LinkedIn site. I'm going to tell you a little background here. I grew up just outside of Boston. I am a true Red Sox fan in spite of their record this year. I'm an all-Boston's teams fan. I uh, moved to New Hampshire when I was 11, and as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when you asked me an interesting story, packed up my 1974 Mustang with everything I owned and $150, moved to Florida, met my husband, who is also from the North and a true Yankee. So you can imagine baseball season is interesting in our house. But uh, we got married on our one-year anniversary from our first date, which was Valentine's Day. And I share all of this with you because, you know what, it's not just about how smart I am in finances, but people do business with people they know, like, and trust. So I figured I'd tell them a little bit more about us. That's of great. course, I have my two children, Samantha and Scott, and I am blessed to be here in Charleston with you. Well, we are blessed to have you here in this community and uh, certainly um, at our firm. So it's been a great, uh, what, 18 months or so yeah, now? Yeah, been so. about that. Uh, been fabulous. And for me, um, I've said on there before, tw over 20 years in the financial services industry, and a few years ago, actually almost two years ago now, I uh, decided to uh, start a group called Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, team up with great individuals like Karen Stawicki and the other folks we have 
uh, both here locally, but now all around the country. Mm-hmm. And we are uh, just under 150 advisors now around the country that work through our platform. And so we're very fortunate to have such a great group and serve the needs truly of the business owner community. Uh, we do a lot within the retirement community sectors and estate planning and wealth transfer strategies. So uh, we have a great firm who's well planted here in the community. And on a personal note, blessed more than I ever should be with my lovely wife, Lee, of 10 years coming up next mm-hmm. month. And our three lovely children, Annabelle, Aiden, and Jacob, of which Annabelle and Aiden have now completed one full week of school under their belt. So, how's the house been? It's a little uh, quieter. Been a little, yeah, a little bit more quiet. So, uh, I think Mama's happy. And if Mama's happy, that means everybody's happy. So, we're doing well, and we're excited, and um, we're really looking forward to a great fall, Karen. Our lineup uh, is already the slate's already booked out. I think for the next couple of months. And we have some phenomenal business owners coming on here to uh, share their stories coming up. We do. And, you know, again, if there are business owners out there who would love to participate and be a guest on our show, please let us know. Again, you can reach out uh, via email to Eric, E-R-I-C, at acagcharleston.com. That's Eric at acagcharleston.com. Give us a little bit of information and uh, a good contact a number, and we will reach out to you and, and talk to you about maybe being a guest. And two quick announcements before we go to our break. Coming up later this week, actually, on uh, Thursday, uh, we will have, actually, I believe it, uh, the first one's on Wednesday, I'm sorry, 827, is the next LifeWorks Charleston. Reggie Campbell, Campbell will be the speaker, which is at the church at Life Park in Mount Pleasant from 715 to 9. And also on Thursday, the 28th, coming up this Thursday, is the next Charleston Regional Business Journal Power Breakfast, uh, which is the emergence of aerospace, manufacturing, and supply chain sectors here in the Lowcountry. So, again, two great – we've been talking about that on the air for a while. Two great opportunities coming up. I know that panelist for – uh, the Power Breakfast Series is a very strong panel. Get a chance, get out there, get you some breakfast, and obviously some great information. Speaking of great information, when we come back from our break, we will be uh, diving in, in deep with our guest today, Mr. Gray Somerville. You're listening to It's Your Business, which is presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, heard exclusively here on News Radio 94.3 WSC. If you are not willing to risk the usual, you will have to settle for the ordinary. Jim Rohn. You're listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group on News Radio 94.3 WSC. And welcome back, Low Country. Thank you for tuning in to Dial 94.3 this morning to listen to another session of It's Your Business. And this morning we have Mr. Gray Somerville, who is a co-founder and VP of Client Services for Telogical Systems, which is a leading provider of applied competitive intelligence solutions to the U.S. telecom and cable industry. So, first of all, good morning, Gray, and welcome to the studio. Thanks, Eric. It's great being with you. And certainly that was a mouthful, so we're going to get a chance to talk about (laughs) what Competitive Intelligence Solutions is, working with these large companies like AT&T and Comcast. And uh, Karen and I both know from our research what a great story you had to share with us, so we're looking forward to diving in. Real quick, before we do, just wanted to uh, congratulate uh, the seven companies that were chosen for the second cohort under the Harbor Accelerator program here recently. We had Patrick Bryan on, Karen, a few weeks ago. Told us they were down to the the last moment of selecting those companies, so they now have them, and they're going through that program. And uh, excited to see that under its way. And certainly, I know, Gray, you have a lot of involvement, mm-hmm. uh, have with, I think, with the Harbor Accelerator in the past, and some other things that we're going to get to talk about later in the show. So the Accelerator concept and an entrepreneurial blooming is 
on fire here in Charleston. We're looking forward to diving in a little deeper. Yes, indeed. Well, and before we get to the exciting present, let's take a trip down memory lane like we do each week with our guests. Tell us about what it was like to be you as a baby and growing up. Hmm. It was good. <laughs> I am the fifth of six sons in a um, just a wonderful family. Um, my dad was a Presbyterian minister. He was more like a um, he served as a the leader of a home mission project of the Presbyterian Church down in southern West Virginia. But I was, you know, from my earliest memories, surrounded by this big, boisterous, happy, loving family. One of my favorite memories from my childhood is um, we lived in this old, dilapidated farmhouse kind of in the backwoods of West Virginia that had two, uh, two porches, a double-decker porch. And from very early in the spring until late into the winter when the first snows would fall, uh, my brothers and I would lay our mattresses out on this top porch and all sleep out there like we were camping out almost every night. And I would always be right in the middle. Uh, my younger brother didn't come along till 10 years after I. So, you know, it was two brothers on either side. And, and that, that sort of captures it all of what my early childhood was like. So 10 years later, Mama was trying for a girl and ended up with another blessed boy. Well, you know, I don't know that uh, anything that my parents did was all that strategic or intentional. <laughs> they uh, uh, wonderful people who kind of always lived life as it as it came to them. And um, but they certainly were blessed with my younger brother, Bill, who is a uh, uh, fantastic addition to the human race and one of my best friends. Mm-hmm. Now, I know, uh, Gray, we grew up actually not too far away from each yeah. other up in that neck of the woods, and it's a, a wonderful place to grow up. Yeah. Uh, tell uh, Karen and I a little bit about maybe some of the more fond memories you have growing up in that area. Well, I've mentioned the one already, just um, but it was it was kind of uh, a wild, lively, fascinating time. Um, I was born in 1965. In 1966, my dad, who had been a fairly conventional Presbyterian minister in a little country church in Wise, Virginia, uh, just over on kind of the you know same part of the world, but on the Virginia side of the border. Um, was called to lead this home mission project of the Presbyterian Church, serving really the poorest of the poor in a rural setting in, in America. And I don't know if this was a condition of his service or if it was just kind of something that he chose to do, but he and my mom basically sold off all their earth, earthly possessions, um, you know, furniture, everything, and we packed up and moved to West Virginia. And um, so from the time that I was one year old until probably when I was about 14, 15 years old, those really key formative years of my life, my dad was was right on the cutting edge of doing everything that he could to help the rural poor. He was kind of a liberal, um, you know, Presbyterian minister. Uh, At that time in his life, he... He was, you know, close to the communist end of the spectrum. And, of course, you know, you have to factor in the time frame. And interestingly, there in that part of West Virginia, there was um, there were a lot of fascinating kind of people coming through, kind of a combination of people like my dad, a lot of do-gooders who were responding to the call to, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but you can do for your country. A lot of hippies, a lot of draft dodgers, and then throw in a good mixture of, like, coal miners and pure-blooded rednecks and kind of, you know, shake it all up in a bucket. And that's what I that's grew a, up a in, in the midst area, of. Right. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So. And, and then as you followed along into high school, mm-hmm. tell us a little bit about the high school experience, which you were there in West Virginia in high school? Well, um, 
My dad had all of these VISTA workers, for those who remember what that is, Volunteers in Service mm-hmm. to America, that were volunteers that would come in the summertime and help out with the projects that he was working on. And, you know, just like Hillary Clinton went to Arkansas, you had a lot of people coming in from Ivy League schools and so forth to help out there with projects like my dad was working on. And one of these people recommended to my dad, as my oldest brother was approaching high school age, that he should consider sending us off to boarding school, that which was the last thing that my parents would have ever thought about. We, we were we were truly poor. I'm probably your only guest that did not have running water until I was uh, 10 years old. Um, so not something that my parents would have ever thought of. But um, based on this recommendation, my oldest brother applied to Phillips Exeter Academy, which is like the Harvard of boarding schools in, in America. And so funny story about how he and a and a, a draft dodger that lived with us and an illiterate redneck who kept our car running, drove the thousand miles from our house to Phillips Exeter Academy, and my brother got accepted into that school. But that kind of began a tradition of, of all of us going off to boarding school. Each one after the other, we got scholarships. My next oldest brother broke the tradition of going to Exeter and went to a school called Woodbury Forest School, which is also a very distinguished school based in Virginia. And I followed him there. Now, again, growing up where I grew up, I I literally showed up at Woodbury Forest School for Boys with muskrat traps in my suitcase um, (laughs) because I I, the the way that they handled kids who were kind of ahead of the curve in Boone County, West Virginia, was they just double promoted you. So I had skipped second grade. I was 13 years old. I was 350 miles away from home and. As evidenced by the muskrat traps, I was completely out of my, you know, normal social milieu. Um, I stayed there for two years, distinguished myself as a wrestler, did not distinguish myself in any other capacity, um, didn't didn't fail out, but was not thriving in that environment. So I came back home and finished out my last two years, uh, one in Pocahontas County uh, Public High School uh, up in like where Snowshoe Ski Resort oh, yeah. is, and the other in uh, Buchanan Upshore High School. The great blessing of that was it was at Buchanan Upshore High School that I met my wife, Debbie, who I will have been married to for 29 years in December. Wow. So that's quite an interesting story, and and talk about diversity. The first two years of high school, of course, you were very young and totally out of your element. Were there any particular memories that you believe helped formulate who you are today, either that came from, uh, Mm -hmm. you know, I guess they wouldn't be called professors at that point, but but your Mm -hmm. teachers, or did you play sports that maybe Mm -hmm. coach? Definitely had a coach that was a big influence on me, uh, Coach Glover. Dick Glover uh, ran the wrestling program at Woodbury Forest School, and it was his complete passion, and he ran a great program there. I'd never stepped onto a wrestling mat until I was a um, freshman in high school, but he kind of saw my potential and nurtured that and uh, was a was a real supporter and mentor. I think, you know, one of the things that was great about that experience, and I think this is true for everybody who grows up in, a, in, you know, places like Boone County, West Virginia, is that you're sort of forced to leave your bubble. You can't survive in Boone County, West Virginia into adulthood without getting out and going somewhere. In my case, I ended up in this, you know, very exclusive kind of fancy prep school where, you know, the kid across the hall had, you know, their own indoor horse stadium and that sort of thing. A far cry from, uh, from those of us who, you know, had to go 
to the outhouse to use the bathroom. You had a whole state <clears throat> as a horse state. You know? <laughs> That's right. So, um, so anyway, um, it was great to kind of um, just be immersed in an entirely different world and kind of realize that simple truth that people are people. Um, so there was on one side, I think it expanded my horizons in that way. In another way, I think that um, uh, it was it was kind of confirming to me in my family values that were very, very committed to kind of the common person, you know, and the uh, the beauty, the goodness, the potential of everyday people. The exclusivity of that school was something that was in sharp contrast mm-hmm. to what I'd grown up in, and it kind of served to reinforce some of those values that I'd grown up with. And so then off to Bristol, Tennessee and King College. Yep where I believe you studied history and political science. That's right. How was the experience there in Bristol? You know, it was fantastic. I um, I was, you know, prior to college, I would say that I was a, a, a person with above average potential and below average performance. I graduated from high school with a 2.7 grade point average and took the minimum stuff I could get, get away with. You know, I, I, went, I took algebra two, but no calculus or anything like that. When I the the big thing that happened for me between high school and college was that I fell in love with Debbie Andrews, and I think there are a lot of men who will tell you that the moment that their life came into focus was when you know when they found that woman in their life who just kind of gave direction and purpose. That was totally true for me. Um, I absolutely <clears throat> agree. If you're listening, yeah. honey, yes, yeah. absolutely <laughs> agree with that statement. Yeah. Well. Uh, for job, for all the for all the young men who are out there who haven't had that experience yet, you know, I I can't wish any any better thing for you. It um, but so from that moment, I, I had a very kind of powerful love at first date experience with with my wife, and really from that moment, all that I wanted to do was to prove myself worthy enough to be married to her and to convince my parents and her parents that I could take on that responsibility. So when I went off to college, I, I, well, first of all, my going to college, I was a little, uh, I, I tried to get out of that. I had no vision whatsoever for college. I mentioned that I, uh, you know, kind of this, this, um, uh, kind of celebration and, and, um, uh, uh, value on just kind of everyday people was something that was really core to my value. So I, um, I managed to avoid going to college for the first semester by sort of like not showing up to take the SAT and things like that. And finally got the courage to tell my dad that I really didn't want to go to college, that what I wanted to do was become a coal miner and get married as quickly as possible. He was really sweet about it. He said, you know, I don't think I could could give you a reason that would make sense to you why that wouldn't be a good idea. But son, I think that you'll regret it one of these days. And I'm just asking you to go. And since you don't know what you want to do, why don't you just go to college where your mom and I went, where your uncle Bill taught at this little Presbyterian college in Bristol, Tennessee. So to my credit, I took my dad's advice and went off and did that. And as I went, I kind of went with a vengeance. I was like, well, I got to do something I don't want to do, but I can't get married until I clear this hurdle. So I dove into it and worked hard and kind of discovered my brain for the first time, became a very good student. And the great thing about King College was that they really cared about the life of the mind. It was, you know, the the um, acceptance policies were very average, but culturally that college cared about both your mind and your spirit. And I found some wonderful mentors that, that nurtured me um, 
I'm probably going on too long here, but I want to mention by name um, a few different people. Um, Dr. George Parker Winship was a personal tutor for me. I worked in a fine print um, uh, printing press shop with him and would spend about three hours a day. And most of the education I got, I got from from Dr. Winship. Um, Dr. Peake was a history professor of mine that was, you know, kind of a moral hero as well as an intellectual uh, hero. And then Dr. Craig McDonald was another one of those people. And the fact that I can still name three mm-hmm. and I could keep on Speaks going volumes, by yeah. name uh, people that, you know, uh, really cared about me and mentored me was what was wonderful about that small college experience. That's great. If you are just tuning in, I want you to know that you are listening to Grace Somerville, who's the co-founder of Teological Systems, and uh, sharing about kind of his uh, background. We're going to get into the business aspect of it in just a moment, but you're also listening to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, heard exclusively here on 94.3 WSC. And Gray, really appreciate all of that. But was there something? Well, I mean, your 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 intention was mm-hmm. get it done because mm-hmm. I got to get married to this wonderful right. girl. Right. But while you were going to school, were you thinking about I got this off the you know checklist here for dad? I'm going to go back and be a coal miner, or did something else evolve mm-hmm. during those years in college? Well, I tell you, I'm I, I probably am um, not typical in this way, but again, if you can kind of bring back that memory that I shared about my parents and how seat of the pants they were, and just all of their everything that they were striving for in life was just about the mission, not about anything material. And I had never seriously considered what I was going to be when I grew up, other than the coal miner idea. That was probably the only serious uh, job description I'd ever considered. And when I go through college, in my family, everybody's either a college professor, a lawyer, or a minister, kind of going back for generations. And um so when people would ask me in college, what am I going to be when I grew up? I would always say lawyer because it was very noncommittal. You could kind of do anything and still be applying to law school at some point in the future. But the truth is I had no idea. I graduated from college still having no idea. And um, I worked for nonprofit organizations for the first seven years out of college. And, you know, I was on a very similar track uh, that my dad was on. And really it it comes back to uh, just you know trying to live up to my role as provider to then my wife and and you know seven years out of college my two young sons that led me into the business world we were we were um, uh, a single income family slipping into the red ink and I felt completely desperate I felt cornered I I was um, you know I'd graduated from college uh, at the not the very top of my class, but say the top five students in my class. And all the other people that were kind of in my rank uh, had gone on to law school and medical school and, and um, you know, had done quite well. Meanwhile, I had worked very hard, but for things that did not advance my career. And I wasn't quite sure how to get myself uh, kind of out of that pickle. Had the idea, I'd always been a good writer, that maybe I could do something with writing. And a friend of mine called and said that there was a business proposal writing job for this high-flying technology firm up in the Washington, D.C. area, and would I like to apply for that? And thankfully, I got that job. That was kind of my entree into the world of business and technology. 
Now, I know I've read a quote somewhere, uh, and uh, I don't know if it was a speech you were giving somebody. You talked about a time where you had lived, uh, you, Debbie, the children had lived in a 1,100-square-foot house, mm-hmm. had one bathroom, and you drove a 20-year-old Toyota Tercel. That was so, probably an upgrade from what it, where, <laughs> what it where I was the year before that. Yeah. So was that during the non, seven years in the nonprofit, or was that actually after you'd actually yeah. entered to the business technology world? Well, that was after. Okay. I mean, again, single-income family and a business proposal writer is a pretty humble uh, job. And, of course, the cost of living in Northern Virginia is very, very high. Most expensive in the country. Yeah. yeah. So we were uh, uh, we were very fortunate to have been able to buy a, a house while we were living in McLean, Virginia, which is a very high-rent area. We were we were kind of on the wrong side of the tracks of McLean, of a very exclusive community. We were in the in the poorest part. But um, truly, I think our home was the lowest priced property in the in that area uh, that year. But we managed to get into it. And yes, it was this little little tiny home with a wet basement and unfinished attic and, you know, the and the two kids there. Um, but it was those were kind of the conditions that I was in when I started uh, my company, Tological Systems. So here's what's exciting, Karen, about where we are. And I know we got a break coming up fairly sure. soon. But we're talking about you know this great life story and the values you've come through mm-hmm. and certainly the struggles you have and you have your family early and and we'll talk about this in the second half of the show. Here you are again, the co-founder of a multi-million-dollar technology firm that creates this competition-aware marketing for these major companies like AT&T, AT&T and Comcast. And so I know there's a lot of listeners out there this morning, Gray, that say, "Okay, how do you get from there to there?" And I want to really open that up and walk through the process, not only mechanically how you did it, but Karen, I talk a lot about the emotional and anatomy of the entrepreneurial mindset. So how Mm -hmm. did you go from, okay, I'm working for these companies, I've worked in nonprofit, I've worked for somebody my whole life so far, to, you know what, it's time to go do it on my own. Particularly when you're, again, living in an 1,100-square-foot home and have this old Toyota Tercel. How did you go from one point to the next? What, What was the mindset like? Well, there's a great book called uh, The Origins and Evolution of New Businesses. Um, by The author's last name is Bidet, um, a business professor at Harvard and then at Columbia, I believe. Um, you know, there's a lot of mythology about entrepreneurship. If you Google uh, entrepreneur, do a Google image search for entrepreneur, there are all these kind of mythical sort of images that come out of that. It's interesting in this book, The Origins and Evolution of New Businesses, that the number one reason that people go into and that start their own businesses is because it is their best option. It's it's kind of a simple, pragmatic thing. And that was definitely my case. I think I was, again, you know, I said earlier that I was probably a person with above average potential and below average performance when I was in school. That was definitely true in my career. So when I looked at the option of climbing the corporate ladder in this technology firm that I was working for, which would have caught, you know, required 10 years of night school to get an MBA and an electrical engineering degree, or just go beyond the entrepreneur and hire my own damn MBAs and engineers. It was a quicker route to the cheese. And and I think that's true for a lot of entrepreneurs who, who make that leap. And we're going to hear more about some of the books that you've read when we come back. There was a gentleman who reached out to us a couple of weeks ago who said that he heard our show uh, and suggested to you that you would be a great guest for the show. And that is Michael Knotts who has a great blog, and he writes in there that you are the biggest reader that he's ever come across, that you don't read just to read. You read because you have something to talk about. There was a couple of quotes in there. Below average people talk about other people. Average people talk about events. And a 
above average people talk about ideas. So get a cup of coffee, Charleston. We're going to come back to more with Gray Somerville, who is the co-founder of Teological Systems. After this next break, you've been listening to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, heard exclusively here on News Radio 94.3 WSC. All your dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Walt Disney. You're listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group on News Radio 94.3 WSC. And welcome back, Charleston, to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston. Heard exclusively here on News Radio 94.3 WSC. This morning, we've been having a great conversation with Grace Somerville, who is the co-founder of Teleological Systems, which is a leading provider of competitive intelligence solutions to the telecom and cable industry. So, Gray, again, thank you, first of all, for sharing your personal story on the first half of the show this morning. You bet, Eric. It's a pleasure. And, again, we, we love stories when we can sort of talk about you know somebody who's, who's come from where you have, built what you have built to today. But it's easy also to go from in, in a conversation like this in about 30 seconds from A to B. Mm-hmm. So I want to slow that down just a little bit and talk about, again, the, the mindset, the emotional aspect uh, we call it sometimes here on the show the anatomy of the entrepreneur. Uh, you know, a lot of our prior guests made their leap into entrepreneurship before they had a family, mm-hmm. before they had a lot of commitments. You actually had two children, mm-hmm. you know, a spouse. You had all those commitments and made the leap. And you said it earlier about it was just in your mind easier to go do that and get things underway than try to go the other way. Right. But there's a lot of fear. In jumping off that cliff, walk mm-hmm. us through not only for you, but I know you have the entrepreneur boot camp where you teach individuals, uh, entrepreneurs, how to launch a high impact startup in 365 days. How do you coach them through that mental mm-hmm. process? Mm-hmm. Well, uh, one of the things I the the entrepreneur boot camp that I do, I developed that program because entrepreneurship has been so transformative to my life, just in terms of personal empowerment, um, being able to fulfill you know, these really essential uh, personal goals of being a good provider to my wife and children. But it's, but it's grown and become much more than that. It's become a platform by which I can do a lot of good for a lot of people. And it's a real uh, blessing to me and I hope to them. So I have spent a lot of time thinking about how can I share that with others? Because it's true that my starting point, I felt completely cornered. I mean, there's been a lot of desperate moments in my life where I wasn't sure how I was going to get from point A to point B and trying to break that down and, and make that something that others um, uh, others could get to. So in the um, in the Entrepreneur Boot Camp program, the basic promise of that program, which is you know completely free kind of community service project, but people who come to that, the promise that I offer them is if you come, uh, I will give you a clear endpoint vision of what a scalable, high-impact business would look like. Um, I'll give you um, uh, a step-by-step process of how to get from there in 365 days, and then I'll give you the training on how to do those things. So the step-by-step process that I teach begins with doing kind of a pre-flight checklist. And the, um, you know, I think it's, you know, I, 
I, I have made it through successfully in that journey, but it's a little bit like interviewing one of those leatherback turtles that made it to adulthood. There were about a million others that got eaten by seagulls along the way. I've had very close friends who've had their lives wrecked by entrepreneurship. And I think one of the differences between those two is, you know, who was uh, kind of what was your overall state of readiness before you got into it? So some of the questions I think everybody should ask themselves, first of all, is do I really want to be an entrepreneur. There are there are you know, different types of entrepreneurship. There's small business entrepreneurship, where in most cases what you're really doing is creating a job for it, for yourself, and it might be a job that you love and is better than the job that you're in, and that's great. But it's not something that you're going to ever ride off into the sunset on. And you know, at the other end of that, there's scalable, high impact entrepreneurship where you're really building up uh, you know something of value, something uh, an, an asset that you could sell eventually if you if you ever chose to do that. And if you're trying to do the latter of those things, it's, you know, probably you need to grow your business to at least $5 million before it's ever going to be a marketable kind of asset that you could sell to someone else. And you have to ask yourself, do I have the, you know, do I have the intellectual competency? Do I have the character competency? Do I have what it takes to be the CEO of an organization that's going to be employing 50 people, let's say, you know? If you uh, so that that's one is do I just kind of fundamentally have the the bare resources, but beyond that I think it's important to ask yourself some questions just like you would ask if you are thinking of having a child. Am I in a stable place? Uh, you know, do are my finances more or less in order? Um, can I carve out at least fifteen hours per week for a side project? And I have people you know create a time budget, go through their entire typical week from five o'clock in the morning to. 11 o'clock at night and answer the question, where are you going to get those 15 hours? You know, are you going to skip your kid's soccer game? What's it going to take to actually do that? So that that's step one is see if you're ready. If you're not, you might want to just start making your first goal to get in a place where you're ready to begin the entrepreneurial journey as your first step rather than actually getting started. That's great advice. Yeah. If somebody wants more information sure. on this and that 365-day program, mm -hmm. uh, Gray, how would they how would they get that? Yes, uh, the web address is 365365daystolaunch.com, uh, and it tells all about the program and how to apply. And again, it's completely free. Uh, we do it once a quarter, um, and you know, you'll you'll see the uh, feedback from others who've been through that if you check out the website. Now, coming back to that, I want to ask: mm -hmm. Were you to get to this program? Mm -hmm. You know, it's it's been right. based on your experience. But when you were actually there, when you were making right. that, you know, leap of faith, so right. to speak, um, did you know that you needed to check your state of readiness or where were no. you? Oh, no. Everything in my life has been learned the hardest way possible. Mm -hmm. I am the only person you will meet who was escorted from the building by security during a job interview. No joke. <laughs> oh, that's, a, that's a that's different a story. story. I don't know if we'll have time for that one. <laughs> but but no, I, am, I have uh, done it all the hardest way possible, and I'm trying to make it a little bit easier for um, uh, for other people. Um, no, I did not know that. And, and now when I look back, you know, again, one of the accidents of fate in my life was that uh, when I when the decision was made to start this business was in the spring of 2000. Uh, I had just come through an experience in the year and a half before that being a very successful entrepreneur within kind of a small to medium sized businesses. Uh, that I had I'd developed and grown a new product line to about $2 million a year of revenue in, in the space of a year and a half. And I felt, and I'd done that kind of like 
with very, very little support from the owner of the company, and it kind of felt invincible. Well, back up the camera and look at what the whole economy looked like in late 1999 and the spring of 2000. It was hard to miss, and especially within the telecom Until industry, one year later, which, right? which I was working in. So that's when the decision was made to go into business. Uh, actually, my first day where I left the old company and my partner and I were, you know, uh, got our internet working in our new little, you know, windowless 10 square feet of, of office space was um, uh, was in uh, was August 21st of of 2000. The entire uh, our industry, the telecommunications, and that's where our target customers were, had imploded in the same way that the financial sector recently imploded. And, um, you know, my Rolodex was decimated. Uh, I would say, you know, 50% of the people in my Rolodex were out of work by the time that uh, started started the company. So, no, it was, the, the timing was, was rough. Uh, you know, that old saying, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger, I think was, was true for us. We sort of hatched our business in the nuclear winner of the telecom industry, and, and it's made it pretty robust as, as a result. Now, I read in a transcript, I think you did at a talk somewhere, and I think this is probably something you use as well in your uh, entrepreneur boot camp, but there's these segmented lessons that you discuss. That's right. Uh, life lessons, business lessons. And I noticed one of them was uh, good partners make all the difference. Mm-hmm. And I know in terms of beginning Telogical, you and Ken Archer did this venture together. Right. And there's probably a lot of, again, listeners out here this morning that run successful businesses and they have a right. partner or multiple partners in their business. Right. Uh, dive a little deeper on what you mean by good partners make all the difference. Yeah. Well, first of all, probably the number one cause of death for an early stage entrepreneurial venture is a partner problem. Um, there's research that's been done that shows somewhere in the neighborhood of 65% of businesses within that first year or two fail because of kind of infighting amongst the partners. So, so there's number one. If you don't have somebody that you can work with, somebody that you, um, that you have confidence both in their ability and in their intentions, those are the that's those you know those are the two elements of the trust that you need to have in one another. If you don't have those things, you know you're probably off to a shaky start. But but from there on out, I mean, obviously, team makes all the difference for for any business, and you know, being partnered up with people of of the right level of intelligence, the right type of character, uh, the right type of commitment, and you know, having people who care about you um, as well as the business, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be here today if I didn't have that, both in my co-founding partner, Ken Archer, and then Andrew Westner, who we uh, brought in a year and a half after starting the company. And the three of us have, have worked together, you know, over the past um, 12, 13 years, and of course, Ken and I for the past 14 years. So Fantastic. We know, Greg, one of the things that we have asked each of our business owners is that about power partners, thinking mm-hmm. partners, that group of people that you you go to mm-hmm. um, when things are tough or just on a regular basis to give you inspiration or ideas right. or bounce ideas, you know, off of. Um, do you have that? And and if so, you know, how, how do you use it? Mm-hmm. And then what's the best advice you've ever been given? That's kind of two questions, okay. but if you can tie it all in. Well, first of all, in terms of my sources, I, I, there, I'll break it down a little bit. I would say that um, 
I make a very intentional effort to constantly be feeding my mind with new kind of stimulating inputs. And most of that comes through reading. Uh, some of it comes through attending conferences and so forth. But, but it's a very deliberate, intentional thing that I do to kind of constantly be fertilizing the, you know, the, the, uh, my own mental life. Um, and I do that in a lot of different ways, not just business books. I'll read a philosophy book or right now I'm reading democracy in America, the famous Alexis de Tocqueville, um, book, you know, written back in the 1830s. Um, so I will do that. And then, then I think there's a separate thing of uh, you kind of get an idea or you get a question and that you need a community of people that you can interact with and process around that. I've been very fortunate to develop a, a strong local network of other business leaders. Um, you know, people like Patrick Bryan at the Harbor Accelerator is somebody that I would go to for that. I'm a member of a Vistage group um, that, you know, have access to a dozen other uh, CEOs that are very helpful for that. And, you know, there's a there's a there's a group there that I can blast out an email message when I have a question, whether it's practical or kind of more, um, you know, more advanced kind of business question and and get just an instant response back from kind of a peer group. So that's extremely uh, helpful to me and where I go to for that. In terms of the best advice I've ever been given, you know, I really I don't have the answer uh, to that question. I, I, if I had to, if I had to pick something, it's not advice that I've personally been given, but just that that um, uh, you know, the Winston Churchill thing of never give up is ultimately the thing that you know. I would say perseverance has been the number one uh, kind of thing that is contributed to my success. It's just not quitting, whether that's business, whether that's marriage, whether that's you know, parenthood. Raising, raising yeah, teenagers. Just never, never, <laughs> never give up. Yeah. It's a great uh, reminder of the Jim Valvano uh, ESPN SB speech that he did. Yeah. It's one of the things I'll never forget and watched it many times in my life. And uh, it's that courage and that strength. And I think mm -hmm. all of our guests that have been on this show really talk a lot to, mm -hmm. to the extent of how well right. they've per, you know, persevered through through the challenging times. By the way, to our listeners this morning, just in case you're tuning in, uh, you have been listening to Grace Somerville, who's the co-founder of Teleological Systems, and you also have been listening to our show, which is called It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, heard exclusive here on 94.3 WSC. And, Gray, a lot of our conversation has certainly led up to the beginning of the business, the struggles in the early times. Um, obviously, 14 years have gone by. You now have a multi-million dollar organization uh, with you and uh, Ken and Andrew. So for those that are listening out there that have a scalable business at this time, mm -hmm. uh, let's talk a little bit about some of the challenges, um, both internally in the business that you struggle when it's at that scale, but maybe more importantly, your time. You're involved in, I mean, I look at this, you know, your company is named one of the best places to work in South Carolina. You are on the executive team of the Tri-County Cradle to Career uh, Collaborative. You started this entrepreneur boot camp where you're giving back to the community. You have another business venture we're going to talk about in a minute. So with all that going on, Debbie and the children, um, just how do you spin all the plates? Mm -hmm. Well, um, you know, I think that uh, kind of planned obsolescence for yourself needs to be kind of part of your strategy from the beginning. And I, I, I'm not sure that I've been 
brilliant at that. One thing that I think I have going for me from kind of a personality or a character standpoint is I don't mind handing over things to other people. So an example of that is I was the um, you know, obviously, Ken and I were the co-founders of the company. I was the founding CEO of the company. Um, neither Ken nor I have a business background. We were both kind of accidental entrepreneurs, two liberal arts types who, how in the world we got here, I still don't quite know. Um, Andrew, on the other hand, was, you know, he grew up dreaming about being a businessman. He, um, he uh, had the MBA, he had the relevant experience. And so when Andrew joined the team, I immediately started thinking that he would be a better CEO for the company, really, than I would. And um, probably at about year four of, of the existence of the company, we had this really cool ceremony where we had a football that had been signed by all the different employees and by Ken and I, and we had this kind of handoff ceremony where I passed the football for me to Andrew, and he's been doing a wonderful job of running with that ball ever since. But but it probably was sort of a unique thing that that was something that I was able to see his um, better ability for that and the willingness to step out of his way and let him be the CEO. So I think that, you know, um, there, there are certainly ego rewards of being the boss and, you know, being the founder and all that sort of thing. I think that to the degree that you can get those things under control and look around at your team or look around at potential partners and say, you know, what would these people actually do better than I Mm -hmm. and try to just, you know, uh, let them have it is probably step one. It's kind of back to the old Jim Collins, good right. to great. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Make sure absolutely. the right person's driving the bus and the people in the right seats. Absolutely. And, you know, then there's a lot of kind of um, mechanical things from there that are just about making your business more and more scalable. Um, and some scalable, I think, has a lot of different meanings. But, but one of those would be that you can go off to the Caribbean for three weeks and things don't fall apart. And, um, you know, I, I think that just kind of looking at your systems and it's a lot of hard, painful, tedious work to actually get all that moving, but it can be done. What does the next five to 10 years look like? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I'm glad you asked. I, I, um, <laughs> um, two years ago, I had a really fantastic experience of um, spending a week at the beach where all that I did um, 15 years earlier, really, if I had to name one book other than, you know, like more foundational things like the Bible that have had a transformative impact on my life, it would be the book, The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And probably 15 years ago, when I was not clear on how to get my life moving, I read that book, I completely absorbed it, I put it in practice. That was a direct precursor to my being able to start my own entrepreneurial venture. And one of the things that I teach in my entrepreneur boot camp is that really you need to build the foundation and personal effectiveness. Your your ability to entrepreneur will be rooted in the strength of your personal effectiveness and the strength of your network. Those are you know, kind of uh, precursors to entrepreneurship. So anyway, that book changed my life. Uh, all these wonderful young employees that I've had the pleasure of working with over the years, I always recommend it to them. Well, about three years ago, I realized I was recommending this book and I couldn't even remember all the seven mm-hmm. habits. It had been forever since I had looked at my personal mission statement and all of that. So I had a week of vacation coming up out at Seabrook Island 
all that I did during that week was reread the seven habits and journal, journal, journal. I kind of went through all the exercises, you know, redeveloping my personal mission statement, that sort of thing. Probably wrote 20 pages in my personal journal um, coming out of that. And part of that was, okay, at the time I was 46 years old and thinking, I probably have 20 years that I can go pretty hard to the hoop. You know, I, I'm an early riser, um, you know, but how long can I be getting up at four o'clock in the morning? Well, probably by 66, that'll start to fade. So what do I want to accomplish in that time? And um, so I've got a very clear definition of what are my key roles and my goals. And so the way that I define my roles is first and foremost, I'm a man. Then I'm a family man, then I'm a businessman, and lastly, I'm a community leader. And so I've got kind of goals around all of those, uh, all of those areas. Uh, the ones I'll share on the on the business side. Um, I'm now involved in two businesses, uh, Teleological Systems. Um, and my goal over the next five to 10 years for Teleological is it'll grow from a company that's kind of hovering around the $10 million mark to over $20 million in, in that time frame. I've started a new business called Launchpath Innovation that um, offers uh, small to medium businesses uh, a way of innovating new product lines at about a fifth of the traditional cost of, of doing that. And I'm very hopeful for that. We're kind of in the early stages, and time will tell whether the business plan makes sense. But my dream is to grow that over the next 10 years to probably like about a $50 million a year business that uh, would employ, you know, a, at some point, hundreds of people in the Charleston area would be my would be my dream for that. Have goals for the community. Uh, number one on that is um, 18 years from now, 20 years from the day that I had that that uh, wonderful uh, time at the beach, I want to be able to look at a map of the Charleston region and put 20 pins in it of businesses that have grown to $10 million and beyond that I had a personal involvement in helping them come into being. I don't need my name on the, on the door. I don't need to be an investor in the company, but I would like to be able to look at those and say, I'm pretty sure that company wouldn't be here if I hadn't stepped in and put a shoulder to the wheel at somewhere, some point along the process. And out of that vision grew the Entrepreneur Boot Camp. Out of that vision grew this new business that I'm starting, the Launchpath Innovation. And um, yeah, so that's that's what I'm shooting for. And then the final goal is, um, in my involvement with Tri-County Cradle to Career, is that we'll see the educational system of our region become really a top performer, not only in a regional level and a national level, but on a worldwide level. Those are my goals. Wow. Well, we've done it again. We've had an unbelievable entrepreneur, business owner on the radio show. I am so thrilled and so flabbergasted in what your vision is. I love it. I love it. And I'll bet your listeners are loving it, too. Love the fact that the vision is not just there, but you've obviously articulated it very well yeah. and thought through it. And so uh, we'll come back after this break for a final wrap up with uh, Grace Somerville. Again, you've been listening to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston and heard exclusively here on News Radio 94.3 WSC. Good things come to people who wait, but better things come to those who go out and get them. Anonymous. You're listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group on News Radio 94.3 WSC. And welcome back. We're going to wrap up this segment. We've been talking with Grace Somerville, who is the co-founder of Teleological Systems, which is 
the um, leading provider of applied competitive intelligence solutions to the U.S. telecom and cable industry. And your story's been so great, Gray. We haven't even really talked about what that is. So we'll have to have you back on another show. But I can't thank you enough for all of your great stories. And, you know, when we left the uh, into the last break, Eric, we were talking about your vision over the next five to ten years or so. And I'm looking forward to seeing myself what 20 pins you have mm. involvement in. But let's take that down a little personal road in terms of legacy and, you know, succession planning, exit strategies we like to talk about. Mm-hmm. What does that look like for you, both for the business and personally? Mm-hmm. You can talk about it. Okay. Um, well, for the business, I mean, again, I mentioned earlier with Telogical that probably going back to, you know, more than 10 years ago, there was thinking about uh, developing a team that was, uh, you know, that had capabilities beyond beyond myself. And in a way, I am currently executing a type of exit. Let me just give a little background here that, you know, there are a lot of different ways to exit a business um, from one end of the range being an IPO and, of course, the other end of that range being liquidation. But in the middle there, um, you know, you can you can kind of get things really uh, just spinning like a top and, and kind of have a lifestyle business where other people are running it and you're collecting dividends and you can do acquisitions, et cetera, et cetera. There are a lot of options there. So I am um, in the process of a exit uh, sort of tentatively, in that I've started this new business, Launchpath Innovation, that um, we are in more of a market test phase of that. We're, we're kind of doing a limited release to actually validate that the that the fundamental concepts of the business model work before I mm-hmm. cut off my regular paycheck, which I enjoy so much from uh, Telogical Systems. So, and that's, you know, with the support of, of my partners, but I'm in a place where I could do that, where I could leave Telogical, uh, still enjoy the benefits of, of dividends or any kind of future, you know, events, acquisition events and so forth, while shifting my focus to the to the next venture. So we've we've definitely developed plans around that. I think, you know, for any business it's uh is something that you want to think about and have a uh, have a specific plan for uh the before I started Telogical, we met with a guy who said if you don't have an exit strategy, you don't have a business and we've always kind of thought about that and and tried to do that. Not necessarily because we wanted to exit the business, but you want to have the option. You want to know that you've got an exit if uh you know, in the event that you need it. So that's on the business side. On the personal side, you know, I would say that just those kind of standards disciplines of personal financial um, management and planning are as important for the entrepreneur as anybody else. And I will confess that, uh, you know, probably like a lot of my peers, you can be a pretty good entrepreneur and be a horrible uh, person when it comes to the personal financial management. I think it's really two completely different mindsets. And uh, so it's an easy an easy thing to overlook. I, I think we've done okay with that, you know, with my wife and I investing in 401ks and that sort of thing uh, to, to try to make sure that the good times don't come to a screeching halt if, you know, something were to go wrong with the business. Well, and certainly, I think you said that brilliantly, that we have met, Karen and I, in our careers, lots of great entrepreneurs, not good ones, but great ones who've built phenomenal businesses. 
but they haven't necessarily done as well on that personal side because all their time is spent on the business. Right. And that's certainly where Karen and myself and Atlantic Coast Advisor Group of Charleston comes into play. Sure. You know, Let us be the CEO of Somerville, Inc. Right. and whatever family name, Inc. And that's really where I think we bring a lot of value. And, and I'm not going to let you leave off that last part about legacy. You know, you're mm-hmm. looking back 30, 40, 50 years, your children. What, what do you want the community, your family to say about Grace Somerville 30 years from now? Yeah, uh, well, I, I don't. I really don't have huge ambitions uh, with that. I mean, you know, begin with the end of mind is kind of something that's again goes back to some of that seven habit stuff. And when I think about you know beginning thinking about my end and what I really want with that, I'd like to have made a positive impact. I'd like for my sons Drew and Robert to um, uh, you know to feel like they were well equipped uh, to go on and live adult lives without me and their mom and. Um, yeah, that's probably it. Well, we haven't met Debbie, but we can certainly say from our time here today, I'm pretty sure they're very well equipped. Mm-hmm. And uh, what a great story uh, that you shared with our listeners and certainly for Karen and myself. Wouldn't you agree, Karen? Absolutely. Uh, it's been fantastic. And so Drew and um, Robert Robert work in the business right now. Yeah, that's right. Both my boys work at Teleological, one full-time, one part-time. That's a real joy to have them close to me. Well, as always, we are sincerely appreciative of you opening up Uh, your story and really telling us about uh, the evolution of of certainly your company, but you personally and the vision of what you see for Charleston and for your company and for you personally going forward. So uh, thank you for your time this morning. Yeah, well, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thanks very much for another great week. You've been listening to It's Your Business, presented by Atlantic Coast Advisor Group of Charleston, heard exclusively here on 94.3 WSC. We'll see you next week. Thank you for listening to It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston. If you're a successful business leader or entrepreneur and would like to share your success on the program, send Eric Cox an email, eric at acagcharleston.com. Join us next Saturday morning at 8 for It's Your Business, presented by the Atlantic Coast Advisory Group of Charleston, exclusively on News Radio 94.3 WSC.